Welcome to Stories with Shrinks, a podcast where we over-psychoanalyze characters from your favorite movies, TV, and media. I'm Tyler, he, his, him. I'm Jennifer, she, her, hers. All right, I'm going to try this thing out real quick. <laughs> In a world <laughs> where there are only two therapists doing a podcast about 90s action movies comes this new episode. <laughs> Releasing May twenty twenty three. Um, and if the yeah, if the uh, if the an announcer voice didn't fool you, we're doing nineties kind of action e movies. Jen's is definitely an action movie. Mine is yeah. action adjacent. Yes, <laughs> you you were very liberal with the theme. <laughs> my 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 movie has action in it. Um, it has an action sequence in it. it has multiple action sequences in it i argue that action does not have to be explosions and you know mine technically i think only has one explosion in it <laughs> hey jen it could have been worse i could have done water world you're welcome that's true actually i think water world is, is water world 80s it's or 90s I'm gonna I'm gonna go 80s and is Waterworld technically more sci-fi than action? It's post-apocalyptic action. It is 95. I could have done oh. Waterworld. Damn it! <laughs> Missed opportunity. Uh, I just watched Waterworld for the first time, uh, <laughs> not that long ago, on my birthday actually. Uh, my roommate, my partner, and I sat down to watch a cheesy movie, and we put on Waterworld. Nice. Uh, and now the stunt show at Universal Studios makes so much more sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I could have done Waterworld, and now I'm disappointed in myself. <laughs> uh, quick, but no, instead no, I'll do... your topic. <laughs> quick, quick, quick. No, nah, no, nah, I like the one I did. I did like yeah. the one I picked. It's just action adjacent. But uh, oh no, we'll have to circle we... back around. Then. Before we dive into uh, into these things, Jen, the '90s, we were alive for part of it. I was alive for majority of it. For most of it, I was also alive for a majority of it. Hey, yes, <laughs> um, we're only a year apart, right? Um, <laughs> the '90s were a time, a very yeah. specific time. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in particular about the '90s that you have great nostalgia for? Whether it's a piece of media or piece of music of a, a something that like from the nineties where you see it and you're just like, I'm a kid again. Yes. Okay. I mean, Tyler, there's too many answers to that question. Absolutely, there is, but it's um, the it's the question I'm serving you. Yes. But I think my my answer, hold on, I'm making sure this band was actually nine. Okay. Started in 97, so... Nice. Nailed it. Yes, nailed it. On a technicality. On a technicality. But when did that song come out? Hold on. I'm I'm going to be... I, I'm being specific because I want to make sure that this song actually came out in the 90s. You don't want anybody to get in the comments after you? Right? 98. Fantastic. Perfect. Um, the song, Say La Vie from Bewitched. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a very nostalgic 90s song. Came out in 1998. I was seven. Um, and very nostalgic. There's also just memories of like, and I don't like, I want to say it was late 90s. It might have been early O's technically, but like the Easy Bake Oven, mm-hmm. the the very classic Fisher Price dollhouse. 
the um cabbage patch kids and all of that kind of world of things yeah um very nostalgic 90s stuff um and absolutely like the 90s were it's just a butterfly hair but i feel like that's now going well might have been the early o's with like butterfly hair clips but i think that's that's considered 90s yeah Um, i would consider that yes and i would say those are my answers those are my nostalgic 90s might i present to you released in 1998 in north america the game boy color yeah absolutely with all the like peripherals that you would plug in to make a light on it or Mm -hmm. like uh like chargeable batteries rather than going through double A's like a maniac uh, or even the more nostalgic experience playing this thing at night and having to hold it up to the window uh, to either uh, every time the street light would come by, you would move a little bit with your character and go do whatever you were doing. Or uh, if you used your big brain, you could lift it up and the headlights behind you would light up the screen of the thing. Mm-hmm um that that to me is a very nostalgic thing of just being young and being in the back seat and playing game boy for sure um i was just looking up the very yeah the very first playstation playstation yeah. 1 1994 absolutely that also was my is. first console so nice i think yeah. that was my first home console but i think i had a game boy before that i my sister had a game boy i definitely did not PlayStation mm-hmm. 1 was my first one. Wow. Well, tell your sister to stop hogging the Game Boy. I, guess I know, the right? It's been 30 years. Tell her to stop hogging the Game Boy. <laughs> um, all right. All that to say, uh, we're going to dive in here. And Jen, I believe you have a new client. I have new clients. Clients. That's right. Yes. I have new clients. And this is going to be an interesting one as a therapist. I'm even challenging myself on this. Um, and because this is not one of my areas of expertise, but sometimes you do need to, uh, you know, especially early on, if you're an associate, challenge yourself while you still have supervision to try um, different modalities and mm-hmm. see what fits for you. But I am just quickly making sure I'm in the right location. I am working in the Oklahoma area. And um, there recently was a series of really bad storms, kind of record-breaking um, weather happening, and which is also so terrifying. But thankfully, we have amazing meteorologists and storm chasers going out there doing God's work to help keep us safe. And there's actually even news reports coming out that we're going to have better uh, warning systems because of a group of tornado ch- chasers or twister chasers um, doing God's good work. But anyhow, if you haven't figured it out yet, we are diving into the movie Twister and I am working with a new couple coming into my office, Dr. Joe Harding and Bill Harding. Uh, they are coming in for couples therapy as they were technically divorced for roughly like 24 hours, though it was never officially submitted. The signed documents weren't. Um, So they are kind of in a mental space of being separated and divorced for a good period of time, um, but still technically legally married. And they are reuniting and 
getting their relationship up and starting again post their recent experiences together. Um, so they're coming in to kind of work through the issues that brought them in to the issues that brought them to separating to begin with, um, working through the time spent apart. Um, and even though they were separated and they were um, getting ready to file for divorce, uh, Joe admitted to the fact that she had not signed the paperwork yet and were kind of playing this kind of almost like a chicken dance with each other of who would sign. Um, Bill did have a, a partner during that time that he was very serious with and he's going through in his own rights, his own breakup feelings um, as they had broken up just kind of during that storm weekend. And now trying to figure out what their relationship could look like moving forward. Um, and in couples dynamics so like I would work together with them first to kind of set goals talk about fair fighting rules they seem to get very argumentative with each other and um, talking about like how we're not name calling we're not going to do screaming matches um, this isn't me necessarily playing referee each week but I will step in and be like hold on we're gonna stop right now and talk about what those fair fighting rules are. We also talk about the no secrets policy in couples of, I am not the secret keeper for the two of you. If one of you comes and tells me something, um, we have we will find ways to talk about it in the couples dynamic. With that said, I'm not gonna be like, you wouldn't believe what your partner texted me over the weekend. Um, <laughs> it would be like, hey, let's talk about this. Let's talk about how we can bring this up and how you can share this with your partner um, so that we're all um, on the same ground here. And then moving into individual assessment. So having time to talk with each person to kind of get their own personal background, what their specific goals that they're working on. Are they in this relationship? How committed they are to making this work? Um, what their concerns are and assessing for safety. Um, it doesn't believe like there's any red flags for DV in this relationship dynamic. Again, they do get into verbal arguments, but nothing to a nothing to a point where we're becoming verbally abusive to each other from what my understanding is so far and uh, kind of just understanding where they both come from. Joe has a background uh, where she lost her dad at an early age in um or in a tornado um accident um when he was killed during a storm which is what led her to becoming a meteorologist and becoming a storm chaser um bill was a part of that group and has this is his first time returning to the world of storm chasing but works as a weatherman and kind of gets a little hate that like kind of like the cop out sell out you became a weatherman mentality uh, and kind of getting more information regarding his relationship with melissa and what that was like with kind of joe always in the background of his mind and again kind of assessing where they're both at so together in our couples dynamic we would talk about um you know like our, if our goal is Right now, where does the marriage stand? Like, where are we legally in the process of this? You technically signed papers. Technically, I think that paper went up in a tornado. 
is it null and void? What's going on on the legal end? Mm -hmm. Um, And I would assume from my understanding, they are technically still legally married. (laughs) Um, And what that means for them realistically. And maybe even talking about the, how about we go back to dating? Let's reestablish where you two are just as two individuals now meeting together with this shared history, but kind of moving forward as well. And what would it be like to just start dating each other again um, and see where they feel of like, what would even moving in with each other look like? Where are the compromises that need to be had? Um, Where are your two careers in life headed? They just had this weekend where they were able to make great scientific breakthroughs and are talking about having to really go into the data mode and field and how to navigate that shared space and talking about what it's like to have even gender role dynamics in the relationship and what the expectations are of, you know, what are Joe's expectations of Bill, Bill's expectations of Joe? How do we find compromises in work needs? How do we facilitate personal goals? while also relationship goals. So often in couples work, we talk about like him, her, and them as a couple, as a third party in the in the therapeutic setting. And then working through, I think the biggest thing for them is communication dynamics and helping them learn. I mean, a lot of cases that I feel because and dialogue yeah. I need. Um And really working on how do we listen to each other? How do we take a space looking at like, who's the pursuer in the relationship? Who withdraws from the arguments? How do we come to argument points? Um, And kind of better understanding each other's attachment styles and needs in those relationships. Um, And how do we learn to move forward and not hold resentment for the past. And this would be a good while um, working through some of these issues. I think this would, this wouldn't be short-term therapy for either of them. I would very also recommend that they both get individual therapy at the same time. Or Joe has a lot of family trauma history stuff that she could work through. Bill has his own stuff he can work through. And so often we do recommend that if you're in couples therapy, you also are doing some individual work because our time together is focused on the couple. We may not have time to focus individually on one person's needs aside from how does it help to have that couple listen and how to help model those relationships where it's like in my individual, we were talking about the dad stuff. I want to come and talk about it in couples. So I have a way to help me communicate this to Bill and model it appropriately. Um, And then I think the last caveat of it would be talking about safety dynamics when it comes to just um, their line of work of, you know, let's talk about self-harm-like behavior. They're not exactly self-harming, but Jo does put herself in very scary positions when it comes to what she's willing to do in storm chasing and where is that line between i am doing this to for my job and i am taking unnecessary risks to to feel something yeah and where do we 
start to consider like, I do have a partner at home. I do have a team of people that rely on me. I cannot just go into a barn, strap myself onto pipes and just hope that my limbs don't get ripped off in the process <laughs> of getting sucked into a twister. So unrealistic, but it's such a good scene. Um, and uh, talking about how to stay safe in their line of work and to be able to rely on each other in their line of work, especially, you know, having that conversation. And this is a, there is no right or wrong answer, but like if they're considering having children in the future, how do we make sure children stay safe in the line of storm chasing and being able to rely on each other if that's something in their future? And if it's not, that's perfectly fine too. And then it's not a conversation point anymore. Um, but continuing just that communication and helping them feel seen and heard in their couple while also giving them the independence that they both particularly thrive for. And that would be my time with uh, Bill and Joe. Thank you so much. Ah, couples work. Yeah. Uh, I think rather than asking you a follow-up question, because I think you did a really good job here. Thank uh, you. Tell me how you feel about couples work in general. I yeah. hate it. I hate it so much. I don't do couples work. <laughs> I jokingly said that this would be a challenge for me um, because I don't do couples work, but I do know a lot about how it works. Like yeah. I have done, I have had individual clients bring in their partner. So when I say I don't do couples work, I don't do it as long-term therapy. But I have worked with couples before um, when I was in my associate and like traineeships in school. I was not in the best coupling. So I always kind of use that as a cop out yeah. of why I didn't do couples work. But my supervisor also like completely understood and was like, yeah, let's not you put you in a position where you're feeling like triggered or like you're not coming in with a non-biased opinion. Yeah. Um, but it's just it makes me really uncomfortable with the idea of couples work in a way of just the two people sitting like arguing uh, well, i don't want to deal with it i, I break up um but, <laughs> and see uh, that's my problem that's my problem is i'm just like break up um but with that said like i've had really good sessions with clients bringing in their partner of just like i need better ways to help communicate this with my partner or, or we're noticing that we're just not communicating the most effectively right now or we so desperately want to be there for each other but we're so busy with our individual adulting needs yeah of like we just need a chance to kind of regroup and can you help with that and i'm like yeah sure yeah so there's Having a lot to be said a couple with sessions that. is different than yeah there's there's a lot to be said about just needing because that's the one thing our culture really doesn't teach is like how to communicate as adults in a couple yeah um and so often in like you know we joke like in movies conversations and plot points and uh issues that characters go through could be solved with just two people sitting down and talking with each other and most of them if you like watching romantic comedies right uh, and it's it's so helpful in this sense but yeah i don't i don't do couples work there you go <laughs> and what about this couple what made you choose them so when you were talking about like 90s action movies and I was Googling, I was like, oh, Twister, done. <laughs> like there was two I was going back and forth on and one we're saving for later. But I really love the movie Twister. It is a fan favorite in our household. We we quote it on a monthly, if not weekly basis. We can turn off the film and just recite quotes and like hold dialogues from it um, whenever we're navigating and like 
road tripping in a car there's always like rabbit is good rabbit is wise don't fold the map like there's so many good one-liners <laughs> from this movie um and i chose i didn't want to pick just one of them because i feel like they're such a strong couple and it is really interesting to think like they are getting back together still legally married but having been separated for a good period of time having just watched him break up with the girl that has been like third wheeling this adventure um what would that look like moving forward like they would need some serious help or they would just repeat the past yeah and there i don't think there's coming back from that a second time and they have a team of people also relying on them and i think they would start to get really frustrated with them too of like this is our job and your guys's relationship is mucking it up get it together people yeah. so this was the get it together moment for them <laughs> well awesome well thank you so much for sharing and thank you all for listening we'll be back after a quick break with more action movies yes Welcome back to more stories with strengths where we are talking about 90s action movies. I just finished up with one of my personal favorites, Twister. And Tyler, I do believe you have a new client. I do. And remember, I'm using this this term in the loosest possible fashion as far <laughs> as an action movie is concerned. Um, we are going to be talking about uh, just to have no... Uh, no fanfare for the whole thing. We're going to be talking about the movie Hook, uh, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, I would I will definitely say a lot harder to watch now uh, for me, but mostly just because uh, a couple of the actors in that movie have now passed, uh, and it's kind of a bummer in that way. But it's still a good movie, still a good time, and uh, yeah, I'm going to be working in Neverland today <laughs> as I start work with a gentleman in his 50s to 60s there's not quite a specific age age is weird in neverland we'll put it that way uh he is a white british man cisgender and has an unknown sexuality although in my head he is gay and he has a life partner who is short and a little chubby (laughs) and likes to uh, make sure that he's okay um that's my head canon but uh, but this man is a pirate captain, and of course I'm talking about the one, the only, James Hook uh, today as we dive into therapy with a pirate captain, which is just fun for me. Um, <laughs> not the really, first time we've done this. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Uh, I think really the main course of action with him, the thing that would get him in here uh, is his life partner Smee, um, mm-hmm. and that's as far as I'm concerned. That's who he is. Uh, and uh, history calling... will remember them as roommates. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, but calling in a crisis event recently, where uh, that Smee and uh, the captain were talking below deck in the captain's quarters, and the captain pulls his gun and holds it to his temple and says, "I'm going to do it this time, Smee. Don't try to stop me, Smee. Don't try to stop me, Smee. I'm going to do it, Smee." Try to stop me. Smee, stop me. Smee, what are you doing? Stop me, which is probably one of my favorite scenes in the in the flick. Uh, but uh, that's suicidality, my dude. Uh, yeah. that, that is legit. Uh, uh, 
a reason to be taken into therapy. And so we start talking about what's going on with Captain Hook here as he's exploring this experience in his life. And I think the biggest thing, the kind of framing device of this whole thing, we're going to go back to episode one of this podcast talking about Ericksonian life stages. And we're in for him, we're in the meaning making stage. And again, it's weird because ages in Neverland are different than ages in the real world. But to be a pirate captain in your 50s or 60s, you've got to be towards the end of your lifespan at that point. Uh, Now, again, time works differently in Neverland. So technically, he's not aging. He was 50 or 60 when he came in here and he stayed that way the whole time. But he has continued to develop psych, you know, psychologically over that period of time. And he's in a moment where he's trying to make meaning of his life and coming back with these existential questions of, of like, what is the world like without James Hook? What is, you know, who am I without my great enemy, my, you know, the boy that I need to fight? And he's been gone for a long time and I I don't have a purpose anymore without him. And to talk through those sort of existential questions of like, really, what is your purpose then? Because like, obviously, as a literary villain, yeah, your purpose is to be an antagonist. But (laughs) as a person, a human, what is it that you really want? And I think over the course of the time of the movie, he does kind of show his hand a little bit. He wants to leave a legacy. He kidnaps Peter's kids and tries to make one of them just like him to make Jack similar to his son, as if Jack was his own boy um, that he and Smee could adopt and raise. And how beautiful mm-hmm. would that be? Um, but I think the thing that comes forward with that is this idea of setting a legacy, making meaning of your life. And really, when he sits down, what has his life been about? It's been about fighting Peter Pan. That's it. And maybe there needs to be more to life than that. Maybe we need to build more meaning, build more purpose in his life. Maybe the reason that he feels he's kind of adrift at sea right now is because he's not putting meaning and energy into other places in his life. He's got, you know, the one, you know, all of his eggs are in the Peter Pan basket. And while the Peter Pan basket is super fun and allows you to have a fight every once in a while and, you know, fight some lost boys and all that lovely fun stuff, Maybe kill a Rufio if you're so inclined. Um, <laughs> but instead, he he needs more than this. He needs to be more than just a pirate captain. And this could look like developing relationships with others. And maybe he admits to himself finally that he's got feelings for Smee and that they'd be better married than just captain and first mate. Although it is hard dating your subordinate when you're the boss. I get that too. Um, But also maybe like he finds that he really likes, I don't know, some sort of hobby, right? Where he like, maybe he really gets into wood carving, right? Because he's got the hook. Um, Or maybe he gets really into art or playing the piano, literature, whatever it might be for him. But to give him some sort of other outlet in his life besides just Peter Pan is my enemy and I need to kill Peter Pan. To give him a way to leave a legacy that's more than just, I'm the most fearsome pirate captain ever. Or 
to kind of reestablish for him what being a pirate captain means. Is it really just fighting Peter Pan? No, you can be a pirate and go get some treasure and go bury it and make a map and protect that map with your life. You can go off and, you know, be a pirate and, uh, you know, I mean, kidnap and ravage and don't give a hoot as the song does say now however i will say that's you know a little violent and i'm not going to encourage violence mm -hmm. in my client but to give him this idea of like what does it really mean what are you actually searching for when you say my life needs purpose and do we really need peter pan for that do we really need another person to build purpose in your life or is it that you have not put purpose into your life energy into other areas of your life and how can we navigate that and I do honestly think navigating that is going to start pushing him away from that suicidality, pushing him away from those crisis events, from those mood swings. Those things are going to become easier to control because he's going to feel like his life is easier to control. He's not just sitting around waiting for an old man to come back and fight him. He's now got other stuff that he wants to do. He's got other things that he's interested in. Maybe he gets really into baseball after Jack shows him how to play baseball. Mm -hmm. Maybe he becomes like the world's best uh, you know, hitter on the team for the Pirates. Like, <laughs> maybe he figures out something else besides just this villainy thing that can fulfill parts of his life. And particularly, I bring this up because this is similar to a lot of people, whether you're in your 60s, in your 50s, or some people even in their 30s and 40s, where you find, I've dedicated my life to this one pursuit whether that pursuit is family or relationship or work or education, I've dedicated my life to this thing and it's not working anymore. It's not giving me the dopamine that I crave anymore. And you have to find like, what are the other things that you can do? What are the other things that fulfill you, make you feel good? Uh, and I even see this with people as young as like 18, where they're starting to figure out what am I going to do with my life with this whole thing? And to say like, you know, hey, what you're going to do as a job is going to be helpful, but it doesn't define who you are. It doesn't define your life. What you do as a parent doesn't entirely define your life. What you do as a partner or a spouse doesn't entirely define your life. Really, the thing that makes you who you are is the tapestry of all of that. And if you feel like your tapestry is a little threadbare, then you need to go back in and repair it and add some new things in. And it could be something as simple as learning a new skill, learning a new hobby. It could be something as simple as just making time for the people in your life and caring about them or making time for yourself and, you know, going on, you know, hikes or doing mindfulness work, doing some exercise or yoga. Like it doesn't really matter what you do. You just need to add stuff other than one thing. And that's really the main thing I would want to talk to him about to kind of make sure that he feels a little bit more fulfilled, even into his golden years here at the end of his life. And yeah, that would be my work with James Hook. Absolutely. So often we see in any major transition point, even if it's like career, like job to job, school, out of school, um, empty nesting becoming a parent, becoming a spouse, becoming a partner, like whatever, like transition points, this conversation comes up so often and it's a really important conversation to have. I and mean, there's so many like generational and cultural differences of what that conversation looks like nowadays. And it's an interesting one, but thank you. Yeah, of course. And why, why the loosest definition of action film <laughs> and hook? <laughs> Because Hook is great. 
because uh, the movie hook is amazing and i will argue it there is, it is an action movie uh, uh from the viewpoint of in my opinion action movies are about spectacle and i would say hook is a very much a movie about spectacle okay. um that would that that is why i think it fits the thing I would also say Google agrees with me that uh, yes, Google, it is Google says Hook is an action movie. And action movies of the 90s are so different than action movies of even just the now. Or, or the 80s yeah. uh, before that, right? Um, and so I, I think part of it is just I really love this movie. I really love Hook. But the other thing about this character is like there's so much about him over the course of the movie that is humanized. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically that you know in a lot of modern retellings of peter pan that is what is done with captain hook it's like oh he's a person he's not just this scary dude um although in the original plays in the original stories the original disney movie he's just a mustache twirling vaudevillian villain and that's great that's honestly works great for those stories but when you have something more modern and you're looking at him from the perspective of this isn't just a a scary dude this is a sad old man. And that is what Hook is in the movie. Um, you know, you don't see it until probably about halfway, three quarters of the way in the movie. But like there's the scene where he takes the big black wig off and he's got he's in like just his shirt and his his pants. And he just looks like this tired, sad old dude. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a good credit to Dustin Hoffman, who I'm not saying is a sad, tired old dude. Uh, it's just he plays this very well. And it's the same scene where I talked about earlier of the suicidality mm-hmm. of like, you know, don't try to stop me, Smee. This thing doesn't matter anymore. Just don't try to stop me. Don't try to stop me. And by the end of the movie, he is completely devoid of the narrative of Captain Hook at that point. Mm-hmm. He is just a sad man that has been beaten by Peter Pan who has nothing left to live for and then gets eaten by the gator clock. Mm-hmm. That's that's what happens with his story arc is this sort of jump into our villains actually aren't our villains. They are just people who probably need help more than anything mm-hmm. else. And I love the alternative history here of like, what if I got in there and did some therapy with Hook and he retires and just goes and lives on like a little boat with Smee and they cook each other breakfast every morning and they just are in love. And I just love that idea. I joked about it probably four or five times, but honestly, this is my new headcanon and I like it. <laughs> I, I, my my headcanon is that he fakes his death at the end of that movie and he and Smee go off to live in retirement him. together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, I just like, I really like the movie, really like the character and I thought it would be interesting to talk about. Absolutely. And it, it's an amazing movie and character. So, mm-hmm. yes. Well, but... with all that said and done, thank you for listening to another episode of Stories with Strengths. If you like what you hear, please comment, star, thumbs up, whatever it is on the platform you listen on. Best of all, though, if you could word of mouth, share it with friends, give us a shout out, say, hey, I listened to this thing. They're not totally horrible. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> If you are interested in just more of what we're doing and mental health advocacy information, please go check out um, our Instagram page at Stories with Shrinks, where I post when I feel like it, but it's more regularly than not nowadays, at least in our reels or in the feeds of just affirmations and mental health awareness. So thank you all for listening. Be kind to each other, and we'll see you all next time. Take care, everyone. Bye.
Stories with Shrinks is an entertainment and education podcast. Our views are our own and should not be considered canon or associated with any of the media or universes we discuss. And thank you to Purple Planet Music for our theme song, Phoenix Rising. You can find music for all your podcasting or YouTube needs at www.purple-planet.com. Mm-hmm.